Right, good morning, church. Hope that you're all doing really well. Thank you, Natesco and the worship team. That was amazing. Uh, we, believe it or not, have come to our second last sermon in the book of Philippians, which is <laughs> miracle number one for this morning. It only took us about one year. And as we've gone through the book of Philippians, what we've found is that Paul seems to lay out certain situations and circumstances to show us that Christ is still all-sufficient in everything that happens. It's like when you go to the optician and they put all those different lenses in front of you and say, what about now? What about now? You get closer and closer to seeing the real Jesus and how we interact with him. And so last week we went through this amazing verse, Philippians 4.13. You all know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And just before that, we saw that Matt was saying, you know, he, he has gone through lack. He has gone through not having enough. And one of the so-called trials that he seems to frame there is, I know how to be close to Christ when I abound, when I have much. Some of us might be going, Lord, please put me through that trial again and again and again. But the reality is that people do actually turn away from God when they have much. If you look at a guy called King Asa in the Old Testament, you will see that this is a king who finds himself standing face to face with a massive Ethiopian army that outnumbers his army three to one. And in this moment, of course, he crumbles down and lifts his hands and he prays and he says, Lord, please be with me, rely on, uh, help me to rely on you. We rely on you to win this war. And God comes through for them and they win this war. And then God goes and he gives them 35 years of peace. And in those 35 years of peace, business is good. Everything goes nicely. And at the end of those 35 years of peace, King Asa's heart is completely turned away from God. Another kingdom comes against him. He goes and he sells all the gold that's in the temple. He bribes a neighboring nation to try and fight his battles for him. And that is when you realize that it's not only when you lack that you need to rely on God, but actually when you have much, that you also need to walk closely with our God. And so we're going to be looking at a text today, which is going to be speaking about faith and kingdom living and what that looks like. How do Christ and finances find this relationship together? So Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 to 20. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. My first point for this morning is that Paul ministers through tough circumstances. So he starts off this section with saying, yet, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And what Paul's doing here is he's very effectively navigating a tough path, which is what? He's just said to the church, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need any other help. When it comes to ministry, I have Jesus and Jesus is enough. But what does that say to the church who is a, a poverty-stricken church? They don't have much. They're going through persecution. They pull together a gift to send to Paul. He doesn't want to come across ungrateful, and he's not. He loves that they were willing to pull this, this financial blessing to, 
together for him. And he says, yet it was kind of you to send it to me. If you hadn't, Jesus Christ still would have been enough for me. But thank you for sharing in my suffering by you also pulling together money and helping me to speed the gospel along. Paul has ministered for a very long time with next to no sort of partnership or backing from the church. And this is phenomenal. He he goes through some really tough circumstances. And it's not the tough circumstances that you and I might have at work where there's maybe a colleague that seems to get on your case. It's not a tough circumstance. Like when you're getting ready to go to bed at about nine o'clock and the power goes off, so there's no fan and the mosquitoes come and like they're, they're hordes. No, no, no. The tough circumstances that Paul finds himself dealing with is he is beaten on multiple occasions for doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has told him to do. There was this uh, punishment that people would get called the 40 lashes minus one. So you'd get 39 lashes. And the reason why it was minus one is because often on that 40th lash, they'd actually end up killing the person. Now, Paul does not have this happen to him once or twice and then go, we need to maybe assess how I'm doing ministry here. Maybe I need to change my direction. He says, Jesus Christ has called me to do exactly what I'm doing. And so this happens to him on five separate occasions. Uh, At one point, a a mob comes to stone Paul. They try their best to kill him. And he's lying on the ground. The crowd goes back to the city. His brothers and sisters in Christ come and pray for him, lay hands on him. He gets up, dusts off his feet, and he goes to the next city. He gets shipwrecked three times. And one of those times, he is just floating on the top of the sea for a day and a night. He is not uh, having partnership with any of the other churches except for the Philippians. And some of the churches might have thought, you know, maybe, it's, uh, maybe Paul hasn't really changed. Remember, before this, he was killing Christians. And so when that guy comes to you and says, hey, won't you please back me as I take the gospel to those places, they might be going, we don't actually trust you. We don't want anything to do with you. And so all of a sudden, you start seeing that this, this person, Paul, had an incredible endurance when it comes to taking the gospel, regardless of whatever circumstances he faced. He said, I have Christ. He is enough. I will go forward. And I just want to ask you, as I've asked myself many times this week when I've been prepping the sermon, how tough is your life? And what would it take to stop you from living for Christ in your ordinary, everyday life? So I think when we look at Paul's life, we start seeing a person who will not bend or budge when it comes to the mission of God that is laid before him. And just to make it a little bit closer to home and put some flesh on this, I think we sometimes, we get numb when we get Paul, don't we? It's the same sort of thing when we say Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and we sometimes don't realize the magnitude of what that means. When I think of Paul, I I sometimes, and this might be sinful, sometimes think of a cockroach. Like, you just can't kill this guy. You can't get rid of him. You you stone him. You shipwreck him a few times and beat him, and he just doesn't stop. Like, he just keeps going. But what if we bring it closer to home and we use somebody like Mark Wood? We know and love Mark Wood. What if he heard from the Lord that he needs to go to Lesotho? He needs to preach the gospel there. He needs to plant churches. He's going to take the gospel there. And so he comes to us as a church and he says, guys, this is the vision that God has laid on my heart. I want to go there. And the elders and the church in unison go, sorry, we don't agree with you. We will not back you. We will not send you. So then Mark Wood, being the the beast that he is, has planted another five or six churches in East London. 
And so he goes to the churches that he has planted and says, will you back me? Will you help me financially to get there to preach the gospel in Lesotho? And one by one by one, they all reject him, send him off, and they won't back him. And so eventually Mark says, well, that's fine. I'll sell my house and gets his little money bag ready, starts hitchhiking on his way to Lesotho. And he gets there and he starts preaching the gospel. And it's not long before a big mob of angry people come and they beat him with sticks and they put him in prison. And all the churches here hear about what's going on. What do they say? Well, clearly it wasn't from the Lord, was it? He can go and rot in that prison. You leave him. It wasn't from the Lord. But then we hear of some small little church, probably in King Williamstown, where they are not as financially resourced as we might be. And somehow these guys have taken it upon themselves to pull together some finances to send to Mark to help him while he is in ministry and still trying to do some ministry there while he's in prison. That is what Paul is going through in this situation. Utterly rejected, forsaken, no partnership except with this church. And yet they still count it as worth it to send money to him. When I go through tough circumstances in my life, I start asking myself some questions. First one's usually, is this really worth it? At what point do I just cut the losses? Why do I keep going down this road if it brings me pain and misery into my life? And yet when you look at the person of Paul and you see the sort of questions he asks in his life, they sound more like this. Am I being obedient to what God has called me to do? Am I fulfilling the work that Christ has set before me? And you see, this is what Paul does. Is he says, circumstances will not change what the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to do. Because he is covered by the blood of Jesus, he goes, Jesus has access to every part of my life, every direction I go in. Mark Dever puts it this way. He says, because Jesus Christ has bought us, we are to live as people who are not for sale. Paul is not for sale. And because he understands this, he will not bend or budge when the mission of God is placed before him. He will not be bought out by an easier life, a higher income, more secure environment. He could have had access to all of those things. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And yet he sees the worth of listening to his Savior regardless of what the cost is. My second point for this morning is Jesus Christ, Lord over all. Verse 17 and 18 say, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It is necessary, as I go into my last two points, that... I do this with caution. The reason why is because so many of the verses that we are actually unpacking this morning have been misused and abused by prosperity gospel preachers, and they have tried to make it sound as though if you would just throw money at this church, God will help your finances be perfection until you see him face to face. That is not true. And we're going to dive into this and make sure that we understand it properly. So right at the beginning, when Jesus saves us, your soul is entirely saved by the blood of Jesus. But as he saves you, he doesn't send you on your merry way and hope that you just keep on growing. He deposits his Holy Spirit within you and he begins to sanctify you, which means that he wants you to become more and more like him. And so he starts looking into each area of our life and he, 
he interrogates it and says, does this make sense in light of who you are becoming in Christ? And so Jesus doesn't just leave it at spiritual matters. He doesn't just leave it at uh, trying to tell you not to get angry with colleagues or not to gossip or things like that. He also speaks about finances. And the way that we view money in light of Christ is really important. Paul lays it out well here. He says very clearly, he doesn't seek the gift. He seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. What he's speaking about there is, he's saying, it doesn't matter to me that you send this massive financial blessing to me. It's more that that shows me that there is a heart in this Philippian church where they say, we have finances and we could keep this to ourselves or we can back the gospel, the kingdom of God that is expanding and taking space from the enemy. And you can use your finances to be a catalyst and to send people there more effectively. And that's what you see. The evidence of this church is that they send money regardless of the fact that they are poor, regardless of the fact that they are being persecuted by many different people. And so each time they meet together, some of them might have gotten beaten, and yet they still view it as worth it for them to pull together financial blessing to help Paul. What this looks like also, and I just want to be very clear this morning, is they were not pulling together finances to send to Paul so that the Apostle Paul would be praying for their businesses to flourish and so that everything would go much better for them. They weren't doing that. They were pulling together finances going, we are saving money. We are going to get this money together and we are going to send this money to Paul and then it is gone. They were not giving with a greedy heart and we sometimes get this wrong. We're called as Christians to give joyfully and sacrificially, which means we, we give and we go, thank you, Jesus, that that money is now in your hands, that you will use God-fearing, discerning people to use that money to push and propel the gospel uh, to going forward to the end of the earth. What we don't do is give with a greedy heart, which is we take money, throw it at something, and then we wait, and we just hope that we now get double back in return. That is not what these guys are doing. And so if you go and you look just biblically, the way that Jesus addressed these topics, you'll see that Jesus actually spoke more about money than he did about faith and prayer combined. And that shocks us. You know, that Jesus would actually go to those places, because what we can do so well as Christians is we compartmentalize our Christianity. Where we say, Jesus, you get to tell me how to do spiritual things. You get to tell me about how to have faith and how to pray and and respond well to people. But you do not get to have anything to do with how I use my money. And yet Jesus actually does go to that place. Richard Halverson says, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing. Because when it comes to a man's real nature... Money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. You see, the reason why I've called this second point, Jesus Christ, Lord over all, is because he is a sovereign God. It means that he is Lord over all, or he is not actually your Lord. That is what it means. So Jesus, when he has this rich young ruler coming to him, he says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to be perfect? And Jesus says, have you done all of these these 10 commandments? And he goes, oh yeah, since I was a youth, since I was young, I did all of those things. And Jesus looks at this man and he goes, there is something here that this man has not yet got. 
says, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. What does that mean? Jesus uses those words, come follow me, when he's calling disciples. This guy has the Son of God standing before him saying, come and be my disciple. And the guy leaves sad. Can't do it. He's got all of his stuff and he loves that and will listen to his material and his possessions more than he will listen to Jesus. And so Jesus at this point goes and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples look at this guy and they seemingly liked him. They said, but Lord, if he can't make it in, what chance do any of us have? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And what do you see in the very next chapter? In Luke chapter 19, verse 9, you see a short little guy called Zacchaeus. Very rich tax collector. He hears about Jesus, climbs a tree, listens to Jesus, and all of a sudden salvation takes place. And what does the salvation look like? He jumps out of the tree and he's rejoicing and he says, Lord, here and now, I give away half of my possessions and those guys that are defrauded, I pay them back four times the amount. What Randy Alcorn says in this is he says, when Zacchaeus said he would give half his money to the poor and pay back fourfold those he had cheated, Jesus did not merely say, good idea. He said, today salvation has come to this house. This is amazing. Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation based on his willingness, no, his cheerful eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and the good of others. It is not some sort of an isolated idea where maybe you might think those are the only two incidents. When John the Baptist is busy baptizing people into uh, repentance, People come to him and they say, John, what must we do to bear the fruit of repentance? How do we see this spiritual transformation taking place in our lives? And what does John the Baptist say? He says, share your clothes and your money with the poor. He then goes to the tax collectors and he says, do not pocket extra money for yourselves. And then he says to the soldiers, hey, do not extort people. Do not use violence and threats to try and get more money from people. They weren't asking John the Baptist for financial advice. They were asking John, what do we do to show the spiritual transformation that has taken place? And his answers are money, money, money. And I need to make sure that I'm clear this morning. There is nothing wrong with somebody having lots of money. There is something wrong with somebody listening to money over Jesus. Jesus Christ is a sovereign God, and he will call certain people to use their money to propel the mission of God to go forward. And that is what Paul is so excited about when he sees this Philippian church, as he sees people maturing, where they are no longer just using people and using them to get more money. They are using their money to get more souls into the kingdom of God. And so what Paul is saying here is our stewardship of what God has placed in our hands is an act of worship to God says that there is such a way for you to use your money that there will be fruit, there will be a reward waiting for you in heaven that the Lord Jesus Christ will give to you when you have used your money effectively. And I have an example of this from our church earlier this year. We had a youth camp, and there are always a few teens who struggle to make it there financially. They might come from a poorer family. But sometimes what happens is they come from an unbelieving family. And so when their parents hear, hey, we need this much to sponsor a camper, 
Parents go, we don't think that's worth it. But some of you, in your generosity, you sponsored campers to go to that youth camp. And what I saw is there is a camper who went to that youth camp and came face to face with Jesus for the very first time, and he crossed that line of faith. He is currently walking with God. He's growing from strength to strength, and he's quite possibly going to be baptized in this church a few weeks from now. And had you not been generous with what you had, he would not know Jesus today. And so I want to say thank you, and I want to say let us, in light of what God can do, be generous and give sacrificially with what we have. Paul goes on and he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. You see, this is the cry of somebody who's able to sit back and reflect on the goodness of God because all of his needs have been met. This is something that I think all of us struggle with. Is What we do is, it, it looks sort of like this. We go to God and we say, we've got a need, right? And, and just that we're all on the same page with what these needs are. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Those are needs. I don't see anybody in the congregation who is naked or starving this morning. And if that is, you just come speak to us afterwards and we'll organize something. But we come to God with our needs and we say, Lord, would you please supply my need? Would you help me here? And that happens because he's good. And so what we do straight after that is we go, well, that worked quite well. And we get a different bag out. And we go, <clears throat> so Lord, I seem to have grabbed the wrong bag the first time I came to you. Right? This is what we do. And the moment our one set of needs seems to have been met, we confuse luxury and need. We go, actually, Lord, could you please give me this as well? That is what we do. We, we sort of, in our minds, have these ideas of, if I get a raise, my standard of living is just going to increase. If I get this size bonus, I'm shooting for that. If I get this size bonus, I'm shooting for that. And in, in the, the end, what you do is you never sit back and are able to reflect on the goodness of God, where you have your little blue bag and you go, Lord, you have supplied every need that I have and more. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. The logical thought that is left in our minds is if we support this ministry, if we give generously to Lesotho, if we give generously to what the Lord is laying on our hearts as a church, is we start having these thoughts of, but what about me? What about my needs? Will there be enough left over for me? And that is why point number three is the God of our needs. Verse 19 and 20 say, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul has got faith that because this Philippian church has done exactly what the Lord Jesus has laid on their heart, Jesus will meet every need that they have. And that might sound simple to you, but it's not as simple as a one-size-fits-all it is not as simple as just throwing your finances at church and then your finances will be absolute perfection until you see Jesus. God calls us to, with wisdom, use much discernment and prayer in the way that we handle our money and we back certain ministries that will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what that looks like is it has to be done in relationship with Jesus. So, all of Scripture points to the person of Jesus. It doesn't point to an academic understanding of who he is. So when you go and you look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees, 
He says to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but they all point to me, the person. When you approach finances, when you approach what do I give to, approach the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. That is what you do. You have got a living relationship with the Son of God who's a real person who is really sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he hears you and he loves you and he will speak to you. And from that place, when you learn to adequately hear what the Lord is saying to you, that is when you go, yes, Lord, I will back this or I will support that ministry. That is how we support ministries. And you will find that he is able to cause all grace to flow towards you. He will cause doors to open that no man can shut. And that is exactly how the Lord has brought me to this church as well. When I was at a place when I was worrying about my needs and I was not really having uh, a job at a church, I found myself coaching squash to try and make some money to buy theology books to finish my theology degree. I was working as a carpenter for my brother for 15 rand an hour. And it was not a lot of fun. And God used that to mold and shape my character much. But I remember one day I was lying on a bench in the Beacon Bay Country Club squash courts, waiting for my next student to arrive. And I began to pray, Lord, please, all I want to do is preach and teach people about who you are and what you have done. And while I was praying, I hadn't even said amen yet, and my phone started ringing. And it was Joey Prince from this church. Somebody on the staff team woke up that morning and had a picture of me on their mind. And they needed an intern badly. And I realized then that before I had even opened my mouth and begun to pray, the Lord had already set things in motion to answer that prayer to bring me here. I don't know what your situation is. I cannot stand here today and promise you that everything will be perfect. For Jesus to supply your need, there has to actually be a need there in the first place. But I can guarantee and I can promise you that when you pray, God hears you. God will answer you in one way or the next. And the end result is that it glorifies God. I can't take credit for me having a job here. I can't take credit for somebody waking up one morning and having an image of me. I can't take credit for any good thing that is in my life. All I can do is I can stand here and say, Jesus Christ is good to me and he loves me much. I'm going to close off with a story of George Mueller who ran an orphanage of over 300 children and as you can imagine, 300 children don't feed themselves. <laughs> and this is the story. It says, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night, I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 330 children. Church, we are to fear disobeying God more than we are to fear his lack of supplying us in a time of need. And please don't be put off by that word fear. This is a reverential awe and respect for God. He is good to us. He does meet our needs. He does supply us for everything. 
and we are to be obedient with what he has placed in our hands. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you have met our greatest need of a Savior at the cross. Lord, I want to say uh, I want to say thank you for the way that our sins are covered. Thank you that you walk with us every single day. Thank you that you are a living God who speaks to us and who leads and directs us in many different ways and shapes and fashions. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who can rightly distinguish a need from a want and who once you have uh, met our needs, we'd be able to look to you and say, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your kindness towards us. Lord, help us to be people who are sacrificially generous towards your kingdom moving forward. Help us to know what ministry to back and how we can be a blessing with what you have placed within our hands. Lord, help us to be good stewards of your finances. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen.